by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for the Sunday in the church year. We're following the one-year series in Lutheran Service Book. And also along with that we emphasize that we are proclaiming the one and only Savior from sin, our Lord and Savior. Jesus. Welcome today, and today we're going to be looking at the readings for the 14th Sunday after Trinity. Pastor, how are you this morning? I'm not doing too bad. Not too bad at all. Okay, we are uh, we are recording this program. You know, we always record ahead of time. We're recording this program the morning after the uh, uh, amazing miracle comeback of the uh, New Orleans Saints last night on the uh, inaugural Monday night football game of the season. And so I am decked out in my uh, Saints attire. And uh, if I could find the hymn in our in our uh, library for all the Saints, it would be appropriate today as well. <laughs> but um, after, after last year's crushing defeat to end the season, I thought we were going to start out with another crushing defeat and uh, that I would be O for the weekend with my Washington Nationals, my Nebraska Cornhuskers at Colorado, and the Saints. And it was a miracle 58-yard field goal as time expired. And so um, uh, there, there is a little spark of hope in my step today as we gather enough of that nonsense let's get on with god's word we have <laughs> fan uh, it into flame fan, there we go fan it into flame the introit for the fourth sunday after trinity uh, selected verses from psalm 84 psalm 84 vicar take it away behold our shield O god look on the face of your anointed for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. We have a lot of different themes going on here, Pastor, the... The uh, most familiar from this particular psalm would probably be that phrase, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What, uh, what is the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, teaching us there today? 
Well, <clears throat> uh, doorkeepers in the house of God. First off, the house of God is the temple building, and actually um, there were lots drawn by Joshua in the book of Joshua for people who would serve in the various positions within the temple, including the doorkeepers. And um, he did it uh, from, you know, priests down to uh, singers, and then the lowest one, the last one he uh, drew lots for was doorkeepers. And so in that regard, it's kind of the low spot for service to God within the temple. It's not the ones who get to uh, offer the sacrifices. It's not the ones who do the worship liturgy or, or chanting and things like that. It's just the people who stand at the door and let people in or out. And so it's not a very... Uh, glorified position, if you will, and yet uh, the desire to be there in God's house is so great that the psalmist would rather be the doorkeeper than to be anywhere else or in the tents of wickedness because it's still such a great honor to even be that close to the very presence of God. That uh, theme, being in God's house, is uh, present throughout Psalm 84 and uh, it just jumps out at us again and again and again throughout the words of our introit. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Vicar, what are your thoughts on that phrase? Well, my thoughts are when I visit the elderly that can't make it to church and they can't make it to the building and to the courts and the, and the house of God. So we do our best to share our word with them. But this is um, a, a sign of the really faithful and the... The, the utter great attitude they have towards the word of God in the house of my God, they'd rather hear a word from a vicar than, uh, than not, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness or, or be elsewhere listening to other words. That is really hard up, I can guarantee you that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do we, Pastor, what do we equate the courts too. Are we are we talking about the temple courts here? Are we talking about something bigger? Can we extend that simply to go to church today? How how do we put all those pieces together? Yeah, I think we could probably extend it to go to church today. We have to understand the ancient world and the way that it worked in Jerusalem. So um, you have all the nations of the world being maybe the level of... of uh, least holy or a level of least presence of God. And then you have the chosen people that are selected out of the nations of the world, which are the people of Israel and Judah. And then uh, the capital of that growing uh, closer and closer and more and more holy as we take each step here, capital of Jeruz or, uh, Judah is Jerusalem, which is the city in which God dwells. And then within Jerusalem itself, you have the Temple Mount uh, to which uh, God makes his home on that temple mount, and you have uh, the first court in the temple where anyone could go, the court of the Gentiles, uh, and there's a wall that separates the court of the Gentiles from inside where only Jewish people could go. And then within that uh, next court, if you will, where Jewish people can go, there's another place where only the Jewish males can go, and that's the next level of holiness. And then within that, you have the 
temple court itself where only the priests can go. And then you have the holy place where only select priests can go to offer the showbread or things like that. And then you have the holy of holies where God himself dwells and only the high priest can go and only once a year and only when he gets dressed the right way and is carrying blood and things like that. And so you see you go from least holy to most holy and this idea that uh, holiness is brought about by the presence of God and the closer that you get to God, um, the better that is for you. Now, the place where this then applies to our, our church is uh, we get the opportunity to go where God is truly, really present uh, through the work of Jesus Christ, whose blood uh, tears apart the curtain that divides the Holy of Holies from the rest of the people. And the place where God is present then for us is in his word and sacrament and that happens for us then in the divine service uh, usually in a church building although technically it could be anywhere as Vicar mentioned it could be at the side of a, uh, a person sitting in the nursing home or the hospital wherever God's word and his sacrament are present there God is and therefore we are in the presence of God and made holy and this idea then is it's better to be in the presence of God than it is to be anywhere else and uh you know, Vicar's words, we were we were making light of him, and he was uh, kind of talking tongue-in-cheek, too, that, you know, people would rather hear a word from the vicar than be anyplace else. But when the word of the vicar is the word of God, uh, that is a holy place. Right. And so uh, he kind of, he kind of uh, backed, bumbled, sidestepped into it, but that's exactly what this text is all about here, that the temple of God, the courts of the Lord are special because this is where God is. This is where God promises to be. This is where God delivers his gifts. This is where God holies and unholy people. This isn't something we can do on our own, but it is uh, truly a gracious gift from God. Uh, we see that uh, toward the end, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is a gift-giving God, and as we are in his courts, as we are in his house, as we are in his temple, as we are in his presence, he can't help but give gifts to us because that's his nature. That's who he is. Pastor, the very first verse, Behold our shield, O God, Look on the face of your anointed. What in the world are we talking about here? Are we talking about ourselves as the anointed, or are we talking about the anointed one? Can you put that together for our hearers? Yeah, both of those uh, lines that you read go together. Behold our shield. A shield is a defensive weapon. In other words, its primary purpose is to stop someone else from attacking you or killing you or stabbing you or things like that. Of course, it does bump back and push back and can be used offensively to shove your enemy out of the way, but its primary purpose is a defensive thing. And so God says, Behold, your, behold our shield, O God, and then it tells us a clarifying point. Look on the face of your anointed. The word anointed uh, in Hebrew is Mashiach, or in uh, Greek, Christos. And the one who is anointed, um, primarily the first 
understanding is is David is anointed to be the king, uh, but that then is extended into the office of the Christ himself, who is the anointed one of God, the anointed one to be the shield, to take the punishment that uh, uh, is deserved to be placed upon us so that we are kept safe and secure behind the shield. And Christ fulfills this work then by going to the cross, suffering, bleeding, and dying, the death that we deserve so that we are kept safe. And in that regard, he really is our shield. He takes a, a licking for us. And uh, to continue that little phrase, I guess uh, on Easter, he keeps on ticking as well. And then how does Jesus become my shield? And how does Jesus become the anointed one for me rather than just some abstract Messiah that's out there? Again, uh, that goes back to being in the presence of God where he promises to be. Uh, and that, again, is the divine service where God is present in his word and sacrament. And where God's word is spoken as truth and purity, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire church on earth. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we're where God's word is, God creates faith and that is the way that Christ becomes the shield who takes the licking for us. Um, he, he does it. He dies for the whole world. The Holy Spirit makes it for us, for so, you. So when, when things are going bad, when things are difficult, when we don't have answers to life's questions, when it seems like the whole world is against us, when the consequences of sin in general or the consequences of our own sin are attacking us again and again and again, there's really only one place to go, isn't there? That's correct. That's to, I mean, to put it simply, to church, uh, to a faithful church, where the pastors will point not to themselves but to Christ and deliver the gifts of God, uh, not on their own understanding or institution, but rather according to how Christ wishes them to be given. And that way our focus is completely pointed to Christ, our shield, and we are kept safe and guarded behind him. And as God delivers us, as God saves us, as God rescues us, as God is our anointed one and anoints us with forgiveness, life, and salvation, there's really only one response that is appropriate, and that is a response of thanksgiving. We're going to get into that when we come back from our text. We're going to have a little Thanksgiving in September. This is Proclaiming the One. Looking at the readings for the 14th Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the 14th Sunday after Trinity. And in segment two, we're going to begin our look at the gospel reading, Luke 17, 11 to 19. Not only is it the gospel reading for the 14th Sunday after Trinity, but oftentimes it is the gospel reading that is read on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving Day. Uh, we have services on Thanksgiving, uh, both Wednesday evening, as we do year-round, and Thursday morning at 9 a.m., one of the one of the few churches in Lincoln that still hangs on with that Thursday morning service. But uh, here we are. It's, uh, you know, middle end of September, and we've got these Thanksgiving texts, and uh, something just uh, maybe doesn't seem quite right. Well, maybe we're looking at Thanksgiving a little bit wrong as we do that. Vicar, would you read those words for us? Luke 17, 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay, so all good gifts come from God, and you're not thankful enough. Shame on you. Be more thankful. Amen. How's that for a sermon on that text, Pastor? Not good. Not good? (laughs) Not good. Not good. Well, that's, I think, what most... And again, I don't want to make too much of a generalizations. Uh, far too often, that's what uh, Thanksgiving becomes. That's how this text is looked at and preached. There's a lot of things going on here, Pastor. And uh, the first one I want to talk about is uh, this Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Can you give us kind of a quick geographical, isagogical look at what Jesus is doing and where he's going? Yeah, uh, and even I think uh, maybe I'll lead to this. He's on the way to Jerusalem, which is an important part of it. So uh, Galilee How is— How do you know he's on the way to Jerusalem? Because it says so in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And why shouldn't this surprise us based on the end of Chapter Luke 9? Nine. Nine. Yeah. The, Jesus sets his eyes to Jerusalem to go there to bleed and die and— uh, cleanse all people from all sin. Uh, And so that's, I think, key part of this. Now, to get back to the geography, Galilee is the region that surrounds the Sea of Galilee, which is uh, actually kind of a a small, well, not a small, it's a big lake, but it's not a sea. Uh, You can see across it from one side to the other from every point in the water. And uh, uh, Galilee is the little area that surrounds that and about 10, 15, 20 miles in every direction around the Sea of Galilee. And then you have Samaria, which is south of Galilee and yet still north of Jerusalem. And it's kind of this little middle area, and it's full of people that um, 
when the the Jews returned uh, from exile, the people of Samaria ended up marrying foreigners in that area, and they were still Jewish in their practice, but not in their heritage any longer. Um, you know, at least they were half Jewish in their heritage, and so they're people that were kind of despised by the Jews that lived south of them, and uh, and not liked. They built their own temple, which uh, the remains of, of are being excavated even as we speak. It's kind of an interesting thing. And um, they were kind of outcasts from the normal Jewish society, and yet their faith, at least uh, on paper, was probably pretty close to the same. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was just a week or two or three ago that we had the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so uh, we we talked uh, quite a bit about this, uh, the, the half-breed nature and how the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans and why they did and all that kind of stuff. So you can, uh, you can check out our archives for more on that if that's of interest to you. Yeah. And even today, the Samaritans still exist, and they still do things like slaughter Passover goats and things like that. So they're they're an interesting group. Okay, uh, so Jesus has set his sights uh, resolutely toward Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him there. He is intentionally going to Jerusalem. This is not uh, an accident, uh, the fate, or anything like that. This is the mission that God has sent His Son on. And as he entered a village, uh, we're not told what village, just a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Vicar, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Why didn't these lepers come up and give him a big hug? Why didn't these lepers come up and touch the garment of his uh, the the corner of his garment, his robe, like we have uh, other people doing in Scripture. What's uh, what's the problem here? Well, there's a couple reasons actually. First of all, they were uh, already outcast, cast off by men, and also cut off from God. The temple is not something that they could approach. The other part of it is they are they are seen as sin, whether it be a uh, leprosy of the body or leprosy of the soul. And here they are approaching sinless, sinless man. So they're approaching something, someone holy that they acknowledge as that. Otherwise, um, out of their anguish and and anxiety of the lives they've had to lead so far, they wouldn't have uh, gone to see, find Jesus. And uh, uh, Vicar, you you played on this sin, holiness, unholiness, uh, uh, we talked about that in our earlier segment on in, on the introit on Psalm 84, and I think that really is important to understanding how this uh, how this text works. And uh, they they uh, they are forbidden by law from associating with other people. They are forbidden by law with entering into the temple. And if we understand properly, Jesus as the temple of God in the flesh. Uh, we've got we've got some pretty amazing dynamics that are happening here, Pastor. They say Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Uh, what do you think about their plea for help? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Well, first off, the the prayer for God to have mercy on us is a prayer that we still echo in our church services today. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. It is the right prayer uh, when approaching God because 
there's no reason within ourselves for God to have mercy on us or to take care of us or to heal us or to do the things that we ask him to. Uh, if God decides to heal us, forgive us, restore us, any of those things, it is done only out of his uh, fatherly divine mercy and uh, goodness, his love for us. And so the prayer is the right prayer. And I think even the way that they address him is uh, probably appropriate as well uh, because they call him uh, master. It's a way of, of saying to him, you know, um, we recognize that you are an important person and we um, we know that you are the one who has authority maybe is the way to say what the word master means there you have authority over the problem that we have and so it is it is a good confession of faith in that way and yet it's still not quite the complete confession of faith. It's not saying that you are God in the flesh or the Lord, and that will come uh, later. Okay. Uh, when, uh, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, before we get into the actual miracle here, Vicar, um, go and show yourselves to the priest. Some people might look upon that as thinking there's nothing Jesus can do, so you got to go to the priests because they're the ones that have the real power. They may be thinking that Jesus is uh, uh, ignoring them because of their leprosy. It, it may be a lot of things. Jesus usually touches people, uh, makes sign language, uh, spits in the mud, reaches out his hand and heals. But we got none of that here. Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Why would Jesus say such a thing? Well, Christ our Lord is one who fulfills the Old Testament. And we learn in Leviticus 13 that um, the, the law of the leprosies, the law of the lepers that have to show themselves to the priest uh, before they can be declared clean again. So Jesus here is fulfilling the law. And the other part of that is he does give his word. And what, what is always attached to his word is just this outpouring of absolute love that can do nothing else but heal the lepers. So Jesus, the great high priest, sends these uh, dirty, unholy lepers to the priest because the priest is the only one by law who can make that declaration that they're clean and that they're holy. I wonder how many times in the life of a priest he got to say to someone who was a leper, oh, you don't have leprosy anymore. You're clean. You're holy. Uh, I think that in and of itself is pretty amazing right there. Uh, Pastor, anything you want to add with regard to your comments before about these stages of holiness and Jesus' words, go show yourself to the priest. Well, I think it all is connected, the entire uh, section of Scripture here and even how it relates to the intro, that these people are on the lowest end of the spectrum as far as the holiness scale. They are separated from God and worship because of their skin disease, and they're not allowed to come into the presence of God as a result. And now here come comes God walking into their world 
and they shout to him from a distance. You know, you can imagine even maybe uh, if they're at the Temple Mount, they're outside into the court of the Gentiles, the lowest of the holy courts, and they're shouting into someone on the inside, you know, have mercy on us. And that's the very thing God has on them in Jesus by giving them a word. And the word is go and show yourself to the priests. And I think you hit on something earlier when you said Jesus is the great high priest because um, when they are cleansed and they realize what's happening, the one knows who the real important priest is. And he goes back to see that important priest who is Jesus. And it's worth mentioning that the beginning of this particular passage is when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And what's he going there to do? If you were to go to the temple to be cleansed of a particular sin, or say you had given birth to a child and you needed to be cleansed of your impurity, an animal would have to be killed and sacrificed, and that bloodshedding would be the thing that cleanses you from your sin. I think Hebrew says uh, almost all things need to be cleansed by blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to be the sacrifice for these men's sin and for their unholiness, and he just happens to run into them on the way. They're cleansed of their leprosy, and the one man realizes the truth and goes into the presence of the Holy God by going and finding Jesus. And it's just kind of a neat turn of events in all that way. We have the uh, miracle coming up here when we come back from our break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the 14th Sunday after Trinity, specifically Luke 17, 11 to 19, the healing of the 10 lepers. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. If you are in need of a church home, come check us out. We're at 3825 Wildbriar Lane, just north of 40th and Old Cheney. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 for worship. Sunday school for all ages in between, every Wednesday evening at 6.30. All of our worship services are broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7. You can check us out with our archives, all the various theological programming that we do here at Good Shepherd, and uh, you can also check out KNNA theological programming on um, your various podcast 
places and uh, lots and lots of stuff. We always uh, love to have your feedback as well. We're looking at the readings for the 14th Sunday after Trinity. In segment one, we looked at portions, selected verses of Psalm 84, our introit for the day. In our second segment, we did an introduction of the gospel reading for Trinity 14, Luke 17, 11 to 19, the familiar Sunday school story of the healing of the 10 lepers. Vicar, uh, it's a short text Let's, uh, let's get those words in our brain once again. Luke 17, 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell, his, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay, we've got uh, several things that we want to touch on in this uh, text. That very last phrase, your faith has made you well, that's kind of a sticky point for a lot of people because uh, it appears to me that God has made him well, not his faith. Uh, so we want to we wanna get to that. We have Jesus calling this uh, Samaritan. A foreigner is that a uh, is that a slap in the face? Is that a negative? We have the the way that this text is abused so often. Um, ten were healed, only one gave thanks. Uh, you're like the nine. Be more thankful. Amen. Uh, but first of all, as we're and we can take those in any order you want to, Pastor. But Jesus says, "Go show yourselves to the priest," and that's. Uh, Luke 17, uh, verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. So was the healing in the traveling? Was the healing in their desire to go and see the priest? Uh, Jesus does something different here with the healing, doesn't he? Well, no, not really. He has given them a word, and the healing is in the word because the word creates uh, faith in that particular word that he speaks, and the Holy Spirit's always attached to the word when God speaks or when anyone speaks God's word. And uh, so when Jesus speaks a word, go and show yourself to the priests, uh, implying that that's the way you're going to be made cleansed. It's actually even driving them back to the Old Testament, Leviticus too, right, that word. Um, when Jesus speaks that word, the word does the work of the healing. It's not that, uh, you know, by taking each step, they were earning points with God until finally they were cleansed, or even, you know, by uh, helping each other in their leprosy-ridden bodies to make it towards the priest, that that was an action that was earning salvation. It's it's actually the word of God that does it. Could we, could we say that about any of the miracles then? That uh, even when there were, are these, uh, uh, these, 
signs, these, uh, you know, where Jesus spits or he touches the man's ear or he does some other kind of physical action. Can we, can we say that universally, that the power to do these great signs and wonders is in the word of God? Yes, and we have no problem saying that because of who Jesus is. According to John's gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Um, Jesus is the word, and he speaks the word, and he gives the word, and he delivers the word. And so wherever the word is, the word does exactly what God wants, and we have no problem saying that. And I think that's the key as we look at the miracle text of Jesus. I think that's the key as you've been uh, teaching uh, in a variety of ways uh, your Bible study on the book of Acts. And uh, we, we sometimes get bogged down on the external things and we fail to see what's common. And that common thread is the power of the word of God. Okay, so... Um, they, uh, they saw that they were healed. They, uh, w- the one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Can we say at this point, Pastor, when he is praising God, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, that appears to be a form, a posture of worship, can we, can we say at this point in time that uh, the Samaritan is worshiping Jesus as God? I think we can because of the falling down on his face part. Um, falling down on your face is an act of worship, and any time someone does it uh, in the Scripture, it's either they fall on their face before God, in this case Jesus, or someone tells them not to fall on their face because the person they're worshiping is not God. For example, St. John falls on his face before an angel in the book of Revelation, and the angel says, don't worship me, worship God. And so because of that knowledge that falling on your face is that act of worship primarily, I think we can say this Samaritan recognizes that Jesus is God. Now, whether that means he understands all the things Christ is going to do and teach, I don't think we can say that yet, but I think his faith is in Christ. Okay, I think, I think so too, and I, I just wanted to point that out. Um, and then we have almost a throwaway line here at the end of verse 16, Vicar. Now he was a Samaritan. Ten were healed, nine left, one came back and gave praise, worship, and thanks to Jesus, and the one who came back was a Samaritan. So what? Well, he was the one certainly not raised as a Jew, certainly not raised uh, being taught in the scriptures, you know, as strict as the Jews were in Jerusalem. And it's not really so much of a in-your-face thing, but it's more of he was a Samaritan. He, this, was, uh, this was one of us. This is one of the ordinary guys. This is anybody. This is uh, salvation for everybody. The parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite, you would have expected them to act in a godly way, and yet only the Samaritan does. Here we have 90% of the people healed are not Samaritans. You would have expected one of them or more to recognize Jesus, and yet the Samaritan, or as Jesus says, this foreigner, is the only one. Pastor, what does this teach us about the nature of the gospel itself with regard to who the gospel is for? I think Vicar touched on it just a little bit. 
Well, the gospel is for all people in all nations and all times and all places. Yeah, but and wait a minute. I grew up in the church. My parents grew up in the church. My great-grandparents donated land for the church. I've got this long family history. I've got seven uncles that were pastors in Germany. Don't I get some extra credit for that? No. <laughs> um, it, it's all about faith. And, and then I think the beauty of it, this guy is a Samaritan. He's a leper, so he's... Uh, outcast because of his leprosy and then outcast because of his Samaritanness even after he's healed and he still comes into the presence of the living God in the person of Jesus. And the good news then for you as a hearer is that you also get to come into the presence of a holy God. Uh, God comes down and is present in the word and you get to be there and receive that word. You get to take the very body and blood that hung on the cross and died for your sins and put it into your mouth to eat uh, so that you are what you eat, uh, a person who gets to live forever. Uh, you get to uh, be in the presence of God in the waters of holy baptism where all your sins are cleansed and you're clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all of your sin. You come into the presence of God um, because of what Jesus does for you. And that's the beauty of this. Uh, and that, again, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to cleanse all people of all their sins. And he cleanses these lepers. And the one uh, is still a Samaritan, should still be an outcast, but he gets to come into the presence of Christ. And that is the beauty of this particular text. So if I'm hearing you right, Pastor, no matter what your past, no matter what your heritage, no matter what your skin color or ethnic uh lineage uh, you know you're one 1074th whatever uh, no matter how unholy you have been the power of God's word heals and forgives am I tracking right with you correct okay and uh, your faith has made you well in the time that we have in this segment how does the faith of the Samaritan get the credit by Jesus here. What's up with that? Do I need to uh, take vitamins for my faith so my faith is strong enough? How does this work? Well, I mean, I guess you could say you take vitamins for your faith to make it strong enough. But what you mean, of course, is to be in contact with the Word and the sacraments because that's where your faith comes from. The Holy Spirit calling, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying your faith, uh, working wherever God's Word is present. I think, too, it's worth pointing out in this particular passage, your faith has made you well is how our English translates it. And the word in the Greek is sesokin, which is... Uh, save and it's written in such a way that it is in the perfect tense which means it's a past action with present abiding results in other words because you have faith you have been saved and that then applies yes to leprosy yes to your outcastness as a samaritan and then also it has to do with the fact that because of jesus you have the promise of eternal life uh, and you have salvation in his name and no other name than the name of christ and if the Samaritan here had faith in um, a rubber plant rather than Jesus, if he had faith in the craters on the moon rather than Jesus, that faith would have done him no good. It's the object of Correct. the faith that actually does the healing and the saving, and the object of the Samaritan's faith is Jesus, the great high priest. So in a sense... Properly understood, 
Only one followed Jesus' command. Go show yourself to the priest, the Samaritan. Jesus, the great high priest who sacrifices himself on behalf of the uh, people of the world. And just to clarify one more time, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, all glory be to God on high for the salvation of this former leper Samaritan man who we will get to meet in heaven because of what the Holy Spirit has called him to. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, This is Proclaiming the One. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. First the blade and then the ear. We're talking about uh, harvest. Bring that harvest home. We have a uh, great Thanksgiving hymn, uh, Come Ye Thankful People Come. It is uh, very, very traditional to hear that and to sing that during the season of Thanksgiving. We're not at Thanksgiving, but we have kind of a Thanksgiving text. And along with that phrase, we have some fruit that is uh, in our Uh, lectionary this week, the epistle reading for the 14th Sunday after Trinity, Galatians 5, 16 to 24. Vicar, take it away. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For if the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and and desires. You know, normally when we think of dying to live, crucifying the flesh, dying with Christ, and rising with Christ, we think of Romans chapter 6. That's a very, very much baptismal language, and it's the very language that Luther uses in uh, Luther's small catechism, baptism part four, to talk about that new life in Christ that we have. Um, We have Galatians five here pastor and if you can and this is toward the end of the chapter of galatians five can can you give me a minute or two recap of everything that has happened in galatians one two three and four 
to set the stage for these words, lest people think that doing these things will win forgiveness and yeah. not doing things will merit hell. It, this fits perfectly with our gospel lesson. And in the background of the book of Galatians, you can hear scissors or maybe knives sharpening or however you want to do it. Uh, yes, yeah, that, that noise there. Because Galatians is all about how are you saved? Is it by keeping the law or is it by uh, your faith? Uh, faith that object is Jesus Christ crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world. And uh, there was a group of people in the early church that said, we still need to keep the law. That's how we're going to be saved. And so they were really concerned about one particular point of the law, and that's circumcision, uh, removal of the foreskin from the male. That's a right? sharp point, and too. Paul says this that's a sharp point that's why you hear the scissors right especially in chapter 5 because Paul says if that's how you think you're saved by doing this one particular work, the truth is you've actually been severed from Christ or cut off. And uh, he says the people who teach that, uh, and this is uh, verse 12 of chapter 5, if you teach that you're saved by fulfilling this particular work of doing circumcision, uh, this is the way you're going to be saved because you've been circumcised. I wish you would just circumcise the whole thing on yourself or be emasculated uh, yourself because that's not how you're saved. You're saved by grace through faith. Uh, God gives his mercy and grace to you. He sent his son to die for you, and now the Holy Spirit calls you into faith. And so in that regard, you're saved the same way that leper was. God gives you a word, you hear the word, and you believe, and that's how you're saved. It's interesting in that uh, first verse of Galatians 5 for our text, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. We are talking about the walk, the, the walk of a Christian, the walk of someone who has already been redeemed, who has already been claimed by God, who has already been washed in the waters of holy baptism. And I think of that last line in our introit from uh, Psalm uh, 84, I believe it's verse 10, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so that walking uprightly that God calls us to in Psalm 84 is the same walking by the Spirit that we have here in Galatians 5. Am I reading that right, Pastor? Yes. Okay. And so now we have a contrast, and we have this, uh, this list of the desires of the flesh that are at war or against the Spirit, and uh, this list is, is gruesome. The uh, works of the flesh are evident. It's because they're before us all the time. They live in our hearts. Sexual by works of the flesh, it means the things you do. Yes. Right? Yeah. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I got news for you, Pastor. I'm not, I'm, I'm not in the kingdom of God then because I've done, I'm not going to give you the details, but I've done several of these things on the list. Right. So for our hearers that are also hearing this the same way, is there any hope? What's God teaching us here? Well, yeah, where's, the question is really where's your faith? Is your faith in what you do? Because if it is, here's what you do. 
and you're in big trouble then. Uh, is your faith in giving your heart to God? Because where do all these things come out of? Your heart. Your heart. Uh, if that's where your faith is, in your actions, in your work, and in the things that you do, you are in big trouble. You are, as he said earlier in the chapter, cut off from God, circumcised away from God. And so your hope and faith cannot be in those things. Instead, your hope and faith is in what the Holy Spirit says to you about Jesus, about what he's done to save you, about how um, without your own reason or strength or any merit or worthiness in you, Christ has redeemed you, purchasing you back from sin, death, and the power of the devil, not with gold, not with silver, but with his holy precious blood, innocent suffering and death, so that in that you might be God's own possession. That's where Paul's trying to drive your faith. And so he, he's being brutal and cutting away everything, and using that language again, cutting away everything that you trust in in this world so that all that's left is the mercy of God. That's where you're saved. And that cutting imagery metaphor is there. You know, Jesus talks about pruning the wild vine. Uh, we're talking about uh, circumcising, uh, cutting off the foreskin of your heart. That, that's the... That, that's what's happening here. That last line in verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Vicar, how have I, you, pastor, any Christian, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? In baptism, we are crucified with Christ and will one day rise again with Christ. Okay, explain that just a little bit more because that has almost become kind of a Lutheran cliche. Um, how has baptism, how, how can you say that in baptism I have been crucified with Christ? A little fuller on that. The old Adam is drowned and killed. Um, sin, death, and the devil does, has no more dominion since it is killed in baptism. Okay, and... As we are crucified daily in the waters of holy baptism, contrition and repentance, clinging to the merits of Christ and Christ alone, living this new life that God gives us. Remember, we have a gift-giving God who just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. The fruit of this gift-giving God will be evident in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is, Pastor, I want you to... Tell me about this, uh, this list when I'm done. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no such law. Is this a comprehensive list of what the Christian life looks like? Is this a Ben Franklin checklist where I need to single out one of these virtues to work hard on to improve? What's the, what's the purpose of this list for the Christian? Well, it's all identity. And really, uh, so if we're going to take this list and we're going to ask this question, who is the person who has actually done this? Uh, there's only one answer, and that person is Jesus. Jesus is the one who was loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled, and only Jesus. 
Now, because in baptism you've been clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness and because you are stuck to Jesus, now when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And in fact, Jesus is living in you and working these things in you without your even knowing it in the faith. And so the Christian does love his neighbor uh, because God loves that neighbor and God creates that love for neighbor within the Christian it's not perfect. It's always fighting and struggling with that old sinful nature at the same time. But the reality is that a Christian, their identity in Christ now starts to do these things because Christ is working it through them. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Pastor, what you're telling me is that the fulfillment of Galatians 5 verse 22 and following is Jesus in the same way that the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, is Jesus. And if I want my life to look more like 1 Corinthians 13 or Galatians 5, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, what I need is more Jesus in me? Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is it's the same as with the leper who hears the word and believes the word and then goes back to Christ. And Christ says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. And that's the same thing for you. Christ saves you and Christ comes to you through the Holy Spirit. Thus, these are fruits of the Spirit. And Christ starts to work in and through your life in love towards God and in service towards neighbor. And as I go to the house of God, as I go to the temple of God and put myself in the very presence of God, God forgives. He fills. He feeds me with his word and sacrament and these fruits of the Spirit will naturally flow forth in our lives because God is a gift-giving God. Wow, there's a lot there, and uh, we need to sadly bring this program to a close. This is Proclaiming the One. We've been looking at the readings for the 14th Sunday after Trinity. Sunday morning, get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ, crucified and risen for you.